As we move into a new year, many of us worldwide are still having to cope with the constraints and consequences of this wretched global pandemic. But the reality is that challenges and suffering are part of life. We just have to accept that. In the words of Josh Shipp, you either get bitter or you get better. It's that simple. You either take what's been dealt to you and allow it to make you a better person or you allow it to tear you down. The choice doesn't belong to fate. It belongs to you. And what I found is the people who deal best with adversity have a faith. Now, it just may be spiritual or religious or it can just be non-religious faith. That faith, that power to say, this will turn out well in the end, there will be a way, is what gives them the ability to deal with adversity. And the way this works is very simple. It's basically this. You can cope with anything when you think it's temporary. You'd be surprised how, what you can cope with. But when you think it's going to be like that forever, your ability to cope just diminishes. My guest on episode 26 of Turning the Tables... Dan Neufer, has known what it's like to be consumed by pain and struggle and to give up hope. But then ultimately to find recovery and find new purpose, helping others. One of those others, I'm happy to say, was me. I'm Simon Ratcliffe and this is Turning the Tables, a podcast dedicated to the candid, powerful stories of people who have turned around adversity in their personal or business lives to find new purpose and meaning. Each episode, my guests share their insight about how to turn adversity into advantage. Dan Neufer is author of CFS Unraveled. CFS standing for Chronic Fatigue Syndrome, or sometimes referred to as ME. This book and the recovery program he developed, called ANS Rewire, has helped thousands of people to overcome these debilitating chronic conditions. Dan's program, I'm very happy to say, was an instrumental part of my recovery from CFS. In many ways, Dan Neufer saved my life. Dan, from Australia, had suffered from CFS for seven years. He'd almost given up hope of recovery. Frustrated and angry with the medical profession's inability to provide a coherent explanation or route to recovery, he took matters into his own hands. Using his analytical engineering trained mind, he set about finding a coherent explanation for the condition and a route to recovery. That journey ultimately led to his book, The ANS Rewire Program, ANS standing for Autonomic Nervous System, and his recovery. Chronic illness affects one in three people around the world. It's like a hidden plague of modern life. Dan's story, his wisdom and knowledge, provides insight to anyone dealing with the physical or mental effects of adversity. 
In our conversation, we talk about the root cause of CFS and many chronic conditions, the mindset shift that's the key to recovery, how Arnold Schwarzenegger taught Dan a vital lesson, and what Dan has learned from the multiple recovery stories he's witnessed from people as young as 15 and as old as 90. We started our conversation with me asking Dan what he believed were the reasons and circumstances that led to him developing chronic fatigue syndrome. So now, if you, if you look back and reflect on your why, why you got this condition, have you got any theories in your own head? Oh, yeah, of course. Why did you get it? It was uh, a range of factors. Uh, I was what I would describe as an overachiever. You know, I was ducks at university. You know, that's straight away alarm bells. <laughs> right? Uh, I um, so I was always hardworking. Um, I uh, was just gotten over PTSD uh, from eighteen months earlier. My wife nearly di- died three times um, right in front of me. And uh, I was desperately uh, trying to to save her in the intensive care unit. Uh, this was, uh, you know, with a baby son, uh, a floor two above me, and uh, it was very, it was pretty stressful because not only was my wife dying, you know, I remember distinctly trying to teach the nurse how to do the calculations to get the correct flow rate of magnesium that they were administering to her, <laughs> you know, and. Uh, and I'm like, that's a conversation you don't want to hear when you're on your deathbed. You, you don't want to hear your husband with no medical knowledge helping the intensive care nurse work out the correct <laughs> thing because your blood pressure is, ca- is currently, Goodness. you know, 220 over no. 160 and you're ready to have a stroke. You know, you kind of want to feel like you're on good hands. So I was trying to do this in a low key way so that I wasn't going to give her too wow. much stress because I didn't want her to, you know have a stroke or something, but um, it's funny, I can laugh about it now, but uh, I, I was literally at the bedside and she had like, th- I think it was three or, three or maybe even a fourth uh, operation to try and save her life. And I remember at the later operations, we actually had to say goodbye to each other as in, you know, not I'll see you in a moment, but, you know, because the last operation didn't work. So what's this operation going to do, right? Basically, they're saying, well, she's passing away and, and we wow. already did what we did inside. There was nothing to fix. But we're going to open it anyway because we've got nothing else to do. Wow. So, yeah, I had to kind of say say goodbye. And then I was watching over her whenever she came out. And I hadn't slept in three days. And literally not a wink of sleep in three days. I was just just going through all this. And then and that's when I had my first migraine. <laughs> three days of no sleep will do that. <laughs> yes. Well, I completely understandably, I guess. That's all right. And, and I had PTSD. So that was a predisposing factor because what I'm saying is CFS is, is a brain dysfunction where, where, where the brain doesn't regulate your body correctly, doesn't regulate how your heart beats, doesn't regulate your blood pressure correctly, doesn't regulate your mineral levels, doesn't do anything right. It's a mess. And so, uh, yeah, that's why people get it in different ways. Some people get it through uh, a bad infection. Some people get it through childbirth. Some people get it through a car accident. Some people get it through... PTSD. Most of the time, people have a combination of things. That's what makes it overwhelming. But but I was re- recovered from that. It was eighteen months afterwards that I got ill, and um, 
I had been uh, exercising very hard. I'd been working very long hours. I had a project outside of work. So I'd be working for about two hours before I go to my day job. And I was trying to lose some weight because I got a bit pudgy over that that time that uh, everything was such a, a, a stressful time with my wife. So I was exercising very hard, heavy weights. And then someone at work had a uh, immunization, uh, had a, um, had chicken pox. I didn't know if I'd been immunized and, uh, I didn't want to drag it home to my, uh, to my little fella and my wife. So, uh, I thought, oh yeah, I'll just go grab the vaccination for that. And I got vaccinated. And, uh, it was about two days later where I just went out for lunchtime with everyone and I couldn't walk. And that's how it started. Uh, but people sometimes hear this and go, oh, so you're saying it's vaccination. I'm not saying vaccinations cause CFS, right? And I, and I wouldn't even say that. It was just a trigger. It was just a trigger, you know? I mean, I could have, it could have been whatever, right? So uh, I'm not saying that the vaccination wasn't safe or, but I'm just saying it, it triggered me. It, 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 and then the weird thing is because I never even considered that there could be any problem from the vaccination. Uh, you know, vaccine safety wasn't something even people talked about back then. I never even made the connection. <laughs> this is, you know, it's, it's strange how we work as human beings, but I, I, I didn't make the connection until years later. I mean, even though I had the vaccination three days later, I can't walk. I never connected the two. Yeah. And I was supposed to have two shots, but the second shot is when you're well. And I never had the second shot because I was never well again. <laughs> so. For people who won't, don't know, haven't read your book or don't know about your theory, in a nutshell, what was the essence? Just give us a, a sort of synthesis of what the core theory is. Look, the, the core theory is basically this, that, well, first of all, I'm saying that CFS, ME, POTS, fibromyalgia, that it's actually one illness. Right. So traditionally, they've often been seen as different illnesses because they have different symptoms. And so again, people are looking at the symptoms as opposed to what's causing it. So I'm saying it's one illness. Now with POTS, it's already agreed upon what it is. The mainstream medicine already knows POTS is dysautonomia. That means that your autonomic nervous system, the part that controls how your body works, is not functioning correctly. And um, because this dysautonomia is not so easily and obviously measured, all right? It's not like you it's broken. It's just dysfunctioning. Uh, it makes it, it, it hasn't driven people to this conclusion, obviously. In POTS, it's really obvious. You stand up and, you know, you feel like your heart's going to explode. And they can measure that because <laughs> your heart's suddenly going at 280 beats per minute. And they go, okay, that's not normal. So... <laughs> That's really obvious. You go, yeah, hey, that's dysautonomia, right? But that doesn't happen with people who have fibro or have CFS. So I'm saying it's basically dysautonomia. And, and, and that changes how your hormones are regulated, how your blood sugar is regulated. It changes all the minerals in your body, which affects every system in your body, it changes your breathing. It changes. And it, and those issues lead to secondary issues, which then leads to a process uh, known as sensitization. And, um, muscle tension and it, it's basically the whole nervous system just starts to run haywire. But because of, of course, we all have a different nervous system and a different body. And so the way that manifests is different between people. And I think that again leads to the whole confusion 
how can we say two people have the same illness if they have completely different symptoms? How does that make any sense? Yeah. You know? Uh, yeah. So, so we've yeah. got to be fair and, and appreciate why medicine struggled to make this conclusion in, 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 in the past. But like I said, if you actually look at any of the symptoms and say, well, how are they being caused? Then it, it, the picture becomes very clear. And, and also when you look at how people become ill. Now, what's another layer on top of that is when you look at how people recover. So I've been collecting stories of people who've recovered. I mean, I've spoken to hundreds of people who've recovered now, <laughs> many hundreds. But um, <laughs> where were all these people when I was sick? That's what I like to know. But um, when you look at the, the stories, they, they, they look like they're doing completely different things, but they're not. Um, uh, they, and again, in, in the context of the autonomic nervous system and and reducing the stresses and re-educating the nervous system to behave normally, we can see why the different strategies work. Why the different strategies work, yeah. So I hope that is a concise explanation and not too confusing. Yes, no, I think that's, that's, that's very helpful. You've been recovered 10 years. Yes. What, what's life like for, for Dan now? And I kind of reflect upon all the people I speak to, you know, when they've recovered what they tell. And, and, and I think that's really common themes that come through. For me, the biggest thing is more of an urgency about life. And what I mean by that is I don't take the present state of our, the nirvana that we're living in for granted. You know, where you have whatever you have in life, I don't take it for granted. Whether it's the health that I've enjoyed or the ability to do things, I don't go, oh, well, I'm not going to do that today because, you know, I'll do it another day or we'll go another weekend because I'm like, I don't know if there's going to be another weekend. <laughs> you know, that's probably been one of the biggest shifts. Uh, I think I've been a person who was easily led, not led, but who, who would put things off. Oh, let's go and do this. Let's go and have some fun. I'd be like, yeah, well, I got work to do and I uh, will do it another time. And it's like, now I look at it and go, actually, this might be the only time we can ever do this. Like literally this weekend, maybe the only time we can ever go fishing again. You know, that might sound like cliche or whatever, but that, that's a real shift in your head where you have that sense of, I have to do this now because I might not be able to do it next week. And I honestly believe that. And, you know, now, given some of the health challenges that I've had in the last 18 months, which are completely unrelated to CFS and fibro from, from an operation and appendicitis I had, um, yeah, suddenly things were taken away again, you know, and it's it kind of reinforced that whole need for urgency. Yeah, life is, life is to live, I guess, you know, not for a sort of passive experience, if you see what I mean. Yeah, but, but, but we kind of think it's going to go forever, don't mm. we? Mm. Do you know what I mean, Simon? We think totally. it's just going to go forever. Totally. And so well, we, we waste our lives. People waste their lives because, and look, I'm not saying that I'm like Mr. Ideal and I'm not wasting my life. <laughs> I'm, trying to, I'm trying to do better, but I certainly have connected with that sense of urgency mm. and that reality is very firm in my mind. Yes, yeah. yes. That's very interesting. So, um, and I understand, you know, you're really keen on the outdoors and you've, Climb mountains and things like that. Has 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 that part of that renewed vigor for doing things? Absolutely, uh, uh, absolutely. Um, in fact, you know, here's probably the best 
best example of this. I, I always wanted to go deep sea fishing and never really had the opportunity. And, and a friend of mine got a boat and said, okay, let's go and do it for. So first time in my life, I have this big opportunity. And, and what happens is, uh, I had a problem with my lower back. When I say a problem, um, my wife was overseas at, at one stage and I had two little kids, you know, uh, I don't know how old they were. My son was probably, I don't know, 12, maybe, or something like this. And my daughter, maybe eight. And I remember them just putting the blanket of me, on me on the living room floor because I couldn't get off the floor. And they had to order pizza, you know, to be delivered. It's like, my, it was bad, you know, and they was talking about surgery and you know, I won't bore you with the whole story. But the point was, I struggled to walk, I struggled to sit. And what I really struggled with is even being in a car, you know, you get a little bump. We live in a Pacific Ocean, all right? And in fact, uh, last week we had five meter swells. <laughs> you know, when you go out there, and we don't go in five meter swells, obviously, but it's bumpy. It's a bumpy experience. You're in the ocean, right? And, and I'm in agony and it's like, I, I couldn't even climb up onto the boat. The truth behold, I was too ill to do it. But I was on that boat. <laughs> I was on that boat because I'm like, it's now or never. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that really, that really, uh, and I mean, I was in agony, but um, I just sucked it up, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I just sucked it up. And I'm not saying that's a good way to live in life. You shouldn't suck it up. You should listen to your body and you should look after yourself. Like, maybe this is as good as it's going to get. Mm. Yeah? So, if not now, when? Mm. And uh, I think I've, I've, I've kept that. So, reflecting, reflecting back on this, this discussion we're having about adversity, if your wife was sitting next to you now and I asked her the question, what was it in Dan that helped him to recover from this? What, what would she say? Hmm. Do you know, there's too much filtering going on in my head, you know? Like things come to my mind and then straight away I want to discount them. That's the truth, you know? Because I think she might say determination because I am a very determined person. But honestly, I didn't feel that determined. (laughs) You know, I felt vulnerable. I didn't feel like I was Mr. Muscles conquering the world, you know? Um, in fact, my lowest point in my whole experience of the illness actually came after, was actually during my recovery. It wasn't even that time in bed. That was my physical lowest, not my emotionally lowest. So, um, yeah, it, it really, yeah. So she, she'd say determination. Um, I mean, I guess for all of us, there's the issue of how we perceive ourselves and, and there's the issue of how we, we're perceived by others and we're not necessarily our thoughts, are we? I mean, our thoughts aren't necessarily always correct, so we might not think that we're resilient, but somebody looking from outside who's not in our heads is saying, actually, what you've done is resilient. And I think anybody would say, well, if you've been ill for that long however you got there you did at a certain point decide you had to find a way out and it wasn't necessarily as elegant as as we all might like it to be but in the end you did and then you've gone on from that yeah look uh 
to develop a therapy practice and and help other people. So there's a strong dose of resilience in there, isn't there? Look, I guess there must be. You know, I, I, honestly, I, I don't, I'm not saying this to be self-deprecating or something like that. But when, when I look at myself during those years, I I I just I didn't feel strong. I didn't feel resilient, and and I meet a lot of people now who. I've studied how they deal with adversity. I've learned so much more than I did from my own experience and see how they do it better than me, than I ever did, you know, much better. And there's real key things that help people deal with adversity, but I don't know that I, don't know that, I that I really had them. I, I, and that's why I think I struggled, you know, and that's why I struggled so much and, and why I struggle even with my recovery. Um, because, if you can't deal with adversity, how can you get out of a problem? If you if you can't cope, how can you take action? If you can't don't take action, how can things get better? Um, so if you're under constant stress or duress, it's like this this doesn't serve you. And and uh, yeah, I mean, I look at my own experience. Uh, I feel like I didn't do a good job, Simon. I'll be honest. I I, I I fumbled through desperately, you know, like a leaf in the wind. <laughs> that's, that's, and that was my well, recovery you, experience, but, you know. <laughs> yes, yes, but but again, you know, looking at it from outside, at the end of the day, you know, you you you've given people a gift because you've developed a, a theory, very well researched, and and I think now accepted theory about why people get this condition and 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 you've developed a program to help people get out of it so so i think i think you have to look at that and say well you know that's that's been a gift but i'm just wondering now so you you've obviously the course of having established the uh, ANS Rewire program, which came out of your book, and obviously you've worked now with a lot of people, and as you say, you've heard an enormous number of people's stories now. So going back to where we started, if you reflect on, on adversity and how people get through it, what are, your, what are your observations? Well, first of all, I would like to point out that we are inherently different human beings. And... Some people are more optimistic. Some people have a positive expectation of the world. And some people, less so. They call us realists. Or we call ourselves realists. Some people call us pessimists. (laughs) Now, I like to be an optimist. Because I can tell you that when you're optimistic, good things happen. And opportunities come along. And you perform better. And it works. However, inherently, I don't think I was an optimist. And and what I can tell you is, though, that the people who are optimists, I speak to people, I've spoken to so many people who said this to me. They said, I always knew I was going to get better one day. I mean, I didn't know how, and I've been sick for a long time, but I knew I was going to get better one day. And I'm always like, what do you mean you knew? How do, how could you know? Like, you've been sick for like five years, six years, ten years. You always knew you were going to get better. Like, this makes no sense, you know? And so, you know, it's about logic and science. That's what I'm saying, right? How, how do you know that there's, 
you know, because all the evidence I had said that I was never going to get well again, right? So then it starts to become about more than just science, right? It starts to become, we start to talk about maybe psychology, you could say, but maybe it's more spirituality. And what I found is the people who deal best with adversity have a faith. Now, it is maybe spiritual or religious, or it can just be non-religious faith. That faith, that power to say, this will turn out well in the end, there will be a way, is what gives them the ability to deal with adversity. And the way this works is very simple. It's basically this. You can cope with anything when you think it's temporary. You'd be surprised how, what you can cope with. But when you think it's going to be like that forever, your ability to cope just diminishes. And, you know, I, I could give somebody a very slight pain and say, you'll have this forever, and they would struggle with it. I can give someone a slight disability and say, that's it forever. And, and you, people really struggle with that. But I could give them huge pain or huge disability. If I said to you, Simon, I'm sorry, Simon, you won't be able to walk at least for three weeks. After that, you'll be perfectly normal. Maybe your legs will be a bit skinnier because you've been sitting and lying in bed. But for three weeks, you can't walk at all. Your legs just won't function, right? You'd be like, oh, that's that's annoying. I'm terrible. Three weeks. What am I going to do? I wonder if my favorite season of Netflix is out, right? I mean, that's this is your coping strategy. It's really not a big problem. But if I say, hey, you'll never be able to move your ankle or your foot again, it's going to be floppy for the rest of your life, even though that's much less of a problem, you have an issue. So that's the first thing, is, is faith. And this idea of permanence or whether something isn't permanent. The other thing is, is knowing what the game is. Like, what is adversity? What What is the problem? People think we get so caught up with the adversity of dealing with the problem. Because, you know, people who have chronic illness, they have a lot of adversity. I mean, other people think, the well people think the adversity is chronic illness. That's just, that's just a part of the pie because your whole life goes to poop, <laughs> right? Now, these people, they don't, have, don't know where they're going to get their food from. They don't know where, how to keep a roof over their head, right? Their relationships, yeah, relationships break down. Relationships, everything. Everything, yeah. their whole yeah. life. And then they often have other problems on top of it. Like if it rains, it pours. And so they deal with all of this, this, this over, overwhelming amount of, of adversity. We're so caught up in that that we don't realize what the game is. The real game is the the reality is what it is. You you can't change it by thinking about it differently. And you can't fix it. So you tap into the acceptance and you realize, well, actually, this is how it is. What is the name of the game? The name of the game is actually for you not to suffer. Because your pain, your fatigue, your rent problems your partner that's snarling at you, you know, that's, that's how it is. You, you're not going to just go, Oh, I should, I should have said this. That fixes everything. That's not going to happen. You can't think your way out of it. So you, you have the acceptance and then you got to realize, okay, I'm suffering. I'm suffering physically. I'm suffering emotionally. I'm so, su- what if I just didn't suffer? Right. Mm. What if, what if I'm going through all this and didn't suffer? So that's the game. So people who understand the game is not to suffer as opposed to trying to magically fix this situation because, mm. you know, it's not going to get magically fixed. It's going to take time. They're, they're a step ahead. They can deal with adversity, right? 
Now, mm. the question is, well, how do you do that? How do you not suffer? See, because suffering isn't got to do with what's going on in your life or your body. No, it's your reaction to it. It's your reaction to it. Uh, and that's the very definition of stress. It's how you react or how you perceive you can react or deal with a situation, right? It's that, that gap between what you think you can do and what you need to do in order to survive a situation is, is, is the definition of stress. And so just like happiness doesn't come from good things in your life, happiness is something you do, so is suffering. And, and that's a weird thing to say, you know? And, and if someone is listening to us who's suffering, I hope they don't take offense to that, but they realize that there's empowerment in that. It's just a weird concept to get in your head. You have to cope by changing how it affects you. Yes, and and what's in, I was going to say what's interesting about that is that that approach is is increasingly used with people in terms of pain management. How do you cope with extreme Absolutely. pain? Um, Absolutely. You know, there's the pain, and then there's the mental effect that that pain has, and actually, the mental effect is at least as much as the reality of the pain. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, pain happens in the brain. So yeah, this is a thing adversity, but it's for anyone with adversity. You don't have to be chronically ill to benefit from this idea. You know, another thing is I found that the people who deal best with with adversity have gratitude. They have gratitude. I had no gratitude. I was terrible. I should have had gratitude, maybe, you know? I had no gratitude. I was so consumed by my suffering and the injustice of it and the lack of solutions. I was trying to fix it. I was going to doctors, 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 alternative health. I was trying to do all this stuff for years. Nothing worked until I finally gave up. But other people that I've come across, they, they have gratitude and they have gratitude for many wonderful things that they have. Hey, uh, they still have some food. Maybe they don't know where their next meal comes from, but right now they've got one. You know, they're more connected to the moment instead of this past or the future. They're, yes. they're right in the now. Yeah. And then they, they, they focus on gratitude. And this is so powerful. So powerful. It, it, it's like the single emotion that seems to dissolve negative emotions. You know, people think it might be happiness. Well, you know, you're suffering or you're having lots of bad things. You can pretend to be happy. It doesn't really dissolve the reality of the situation, you still feel this is fake happiness, right? <laughs> but gratitude dissolves a lot of this misery. And, 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 you know, uh, I did a wonderful interview with a, a wonderful, wonderful lady. You know, her name was Diane. She was uh, housebound and she hadn't been able to do anything. She'd been chronically ill for 30 years. And she goes, ah, oh, but you know, uh, I, I'd learned to do some knitting, you know, and I'd knit for once a week, sort of for like a short period of time. I don't remember exactly what she said, but I think she said that like 10 minutes or something because she couldn't knit longer than that because her illness was too bad. She couldn't handle it. So she couldn't do it every week, but she could do it some weeks. So she had that knitting, you know, so yeah, it wasn't all bad, you know. This is how she was talking. And I, I remember I felt like screaming, like, what? <laughs> knitting once a week for 10 minutes and not every week? And your life was so, you know, not that bad. I'm like, you know, it's like she was just awesome. I just, 
I just love that woman, uh, the way she was able to, to tap into these things. And I've met so many people who can do that. And if I had done that, I would have dealt better with adversity. I would have suffered less. So these are the things, you know, um, faith, gratitude, understanding what the game is in your head. And then it's about and these things, they, they furnish you with the ability to take action because, because your energy isn't all expelled on coping. It means you've got a little bit to either have a moment of joy or maybe to do something. A little thing, I don't care what it is, a little thing that makes your life a little bit better. And it's in that moment of taking action. You see, it isn't just that the action might make your life better. Like it could be if you're bed bound, asking if you can speak, asking someone to put a pretty picture up or to turn the light on or put some music on or something like that. Now, it's not just that action that makes your life better or make an appointment to go see a doctor or a naturopath or whatever. It's the empowerment of taking action that allows you to cope with adversity. So when you look at when people have big adversity, whether it's like, I don't know, they, they, you know, their partner leaves them, their family gets killed or something really horrible. The problem is that they feel they can't do anything. They, they're powerless. And that lack of power makes it so difficult to deal with adversity. But if, if you can one, take some kind of action that makes you feel like, Hey, I'm having an impact on this world. I can, I'm, I'm able to do something, even if it's just little, it just completely changes it. I mean, disproportionately. Like you might make 0.1 of a percent difference to your life, but it feels like you've made 10% difference. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so taking that action, uh, is, it, it, it's really key. And I think it also has to do with, the meaning we give to our the events in our life, you know, Simon. I I see this all the time. You know, uh, if we can find a po- something positive to come out of something, if we can see something positive and focus on that, even a very terrible negative experience can be something that we can cope with or get over. But if we can't find anything positive, no matter how minute and we can't give it some focus, then we can be overwhelmed. You know, when you look at some of the people who are really successful despite adversity or despite something terrible that they've done, or it's interesting to see how they talk about themselves. They they have the tools to make themselves feel good, and they practice self-compassion. They practice self-compassion. Hmm. I remember an interview with Arnold Schwarzenegger and it was after that terrible scandal. You know, he shamed his family. His wife left him. He had this affair. And in the interview, he says he tries to, he, I remember him saying he, tr- he tries to make it better, his relationships with these people. And, but nothing he can do will change what he's done. He says he, he knows what he did was no good. He feels bad about it. He can't go back in time and change it. But he looked at it and said, but I'm going to do whatever I can now to do the best I can for my wife or my ex-wife and my children. And maybe they can forgive me one day. But, you know, one of the things that really came through is that he'd forgiven himself. Yes. He knew it was bad, 
But he was like, he said, I remember him saying something along the lines of, I've made many mistakes in my life and I've learned from my mistakes. So he wasn't trying to, he was not making any excuses. He wasn't, you know, making any excuses for his behavior. He was taking full responsibility, but he was showing himself some compassion. Yes. Yes. And that's, he survived that whole experience. Yes. You know, he thrived. Yes. He survived and thrived. That's very powerful. So, bringing us up to to date, I think it'd be really interesting if you just mentioned to people how they can get in contact with you, what things they can use that you've developed. I mean, I know you've got a, an ANS program. It was something that I used. I would thoroughly recommend it to anyone. I thought it was, it, you know, it really helped me to, to recover. Yeah, look, Simon, um, I guess... Uh, the thing that I say is, this isn't a magic bullet cure. That's my first of all thing, okay? Because, um, but what I would encourage people is to have a look at the book first and foremost. Uh, I would not encourage people to go into the program right away. Have a look at the book. See what you think. Does this resonate with you? Do you think it makes sense? If it's for you, have a look at. Uh, I have a set of introductory lessons. They're four lessons. Doesn't cost you anything to have a look at them. They talk about what the explanation is, what's in the program and how it all works. And then I think people need to watch those before they even consider enrolling in the program if they have CFS, ME, fibromyalgia or POTS because it's about, it's, it's a, it takes significant commitment. And in order to do some of these challenging things, you know, we have to have a, a sense of confidence and resolve that we're on the right path. You don't want to waste the opportunity by rushing into something. Take your time and be open-minded to it. And and my hope is, you know, you don't, you don't have to do the program either. You know, many people contacted me after they read the book saying they went off and they did all these things and they recovered. In fact, I've shared some stories with people who've done that. And if you actually look at my website, you see I promote, I don't promote anything. I just tell people stories. You know, they used all kinds of approaches. Um, some even that I know won't work for others for sure, right? <laughs> Okay, but if you listen carefully to their story and understand what else they did as part of their journey, you'll understand why it worked for them, even if it won't work for you. And that is what I want people to get. That's why I want them to get that education. That's why the ANSY is an education program to help you work with your doctor, with your naturopath, with your therapist, with, with your physiotherapist or physical therapist, with whoever, right? To find your way to recovery, but as far as understanding what you need to do and it's different for everyone. Yeah. Yes, yes. Well, we'll put um, notes in the, the show notes about ansrewire.com, which is your website, and obviously to the book. It's been fantastic to speak to you, Dan. Thanks ever so much for all your time and really appreciate it. It was some great insights. No, you're, you're very welcome and I uh, really enjoyed uh, talking talking with you and, and you know, I you can see I get passionate about it. So I'm, I'm constantly inspired by people. Uh, I think there's so many amazing, awesome people out there and, and uh, yeah, I'm, I, I love sharing what I've learned from them. So thank you for the opportunity to do that. That's an absolute pleasure. Thanks ever so much. Cheers. Two things struck me from Dan's story. The first was that how important acceptance and gratitude are to living a happy life. So if not a recipe, certainly a very strong guidance. The second point I thought was that Dan's theory of chronic illness and how it affects 
the nervous system made me wonder whether that theory can apply to almost any of the mental adversities we face in our life. Think about stress. What I admire most about Dan was how humble he is and and how despite what he's achieved writing his book, developing a coherent theory about chronic conditions, how despite all those things, he still felt that many people whose stories he listened to actually were able to cope better than him. Looking at it outside, Dan has helped so many people and for that, certainly I and many people will be very grateful. Until next time, go safely. Thank you for listening to this episode of Turning the Tables. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and be sure to listen out for the next episode where I again will be exploring with my guests how they turned adversity into advantage. See you next time. Go safely.